Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how suffering is not always what it seems. We like to think that we understand the connection between sin and suffering, but sometimes God has other plans. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. So I get asked a lot of questions as a pastor, and some of those questions are you know, fairly easy to answer. Some are more difficult. I get asked questions about, you know, what do you think about things in the Bible, like you know, miracles or um, you know, different doctrinal things like end times. And, and sometimes people are asking questions like, what about UFOs? I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, but one of the hardest questions that I've ever been asked as a pastor is, why am I suffering? Why does God allow suffering in the world? And that's really a, a tough question to answer because there isn't really a simple answer. Now, there is a simple answer, but we'll talk about this more as we go on. It's, it's not always an easy thing to just say, well, this is why you're suffering. This is why there's suffering in the world. The simple answer is that we live in a broken world. We know that, like, Adam and Eve sinned and they introduced sin into the picture and now things are messed up and so they're suffering and that's the simple answer. But when you're sitting across from somebody who's been through a lot, that doesn't really offer much comfort, does it? So we're going to talk about suffering today, why God allows people to suffer. One of the, the facts of being a Christian is that we worship an invisible God that we just can't look at. We don't see him, but we, we trust him by faith and his word tells us that God always does what is good, right, and perfect. That's who he is. But as soon as we start struggling or we start suffering or we see somebody else suffering, we begin to question if that's really true. Does God really always do what is good, right, and perfect? Maybe his, his character is a little flawed. Maybe we can't really trust who, who the Bible says he is. And we start to, to have those doubts. We start to question and so it, it's hard being a Christian at some times because we, we, we walk by faith and we have to put our trust in a God that we can't see. So we're going to be looking at a book. We're starting a series today, Book of Job. I know I've talked about this. I've hinted around at it. I want to do Job. And we're finally going to work through the Book of Job. And I think this book is fascinating because it gives us some perspective. It doesn't give us simple answers of why people suffer and why things are happening, but but it is a bit of a peek under the hood of like, what's really going on behind the scenes? What is God up to? And maybe it allows us to understand his power, his sovereignty, uh, his purpose behind things. It doesn't give us easy answers, but it does maybe give us some comfort and to know that God is all powerful and that he can be trusted. So I want to start out by just giving a little bit of an overview of the book of Job, and then we're going to read the first chapter together. See, Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. We don't really know who the author was. Some people think it was Moses. We don't know for sure. Job lived in the time of the patriarchs, and he, um, we kind of are able to tell this by looking at the book of Job and how old he was. So he, he was afflicted, and then after that, in, in Job 42, it says he lived another 140 years well, that would make him about 210 years old. And so people were living to that, that length of life 
around the time of Abraham and Abraham's father, Terah. And so there was, that was kind of the, the time frame that Job was taking place in. We don't know a whole lot about the book of Job uh, historically, but um, those are some things we do know. The first three books of Job are written in prose, and the last 39 are in poetry. And we're not going to go through, if you've read the book of Job, you know there's a lot of dialogue uh, between Job and his three friends. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on, but we're not going to go through every chapter of that dialogue. If you want to read through that on your own, I'd encourage you to do that. There's a lot to glean from it. We just don't have the time to work through those conversations, and, and I think it would be uh, a lot of the same thing over and over. Anyway, um, so written, uh, again, this probably happened between 2100 and 1900 BC, if that's helpful for you. Um, but there's some themes throughout the book of Job, God's sovereignty, faith amidst trials, and his comfort uh, to walk with us through hard times of suffering. So those are some of the themes that I hope you'll pull out as we work through this book. So I'm going to read from Job chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along or on the screen, we'll have the text as well. We're going to read this in different pieces. I'm going to read a bit and we're going to talk about it and read a bit and talk about it rather than going straight through. So this is Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yokes of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one, on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So these first verses of the book of Job give us some details of his life, um, where he was. He lived in the land of Uz. This is not the land of Oz. It might be a magical place. I don't know, but it's the land of Uz. And it's somewhere around um, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. And that's kind of the Near East. That's, if you know, biblical geography at all. That's where the land of Uz was. Um, and, and really, we see Job's family situation. He had lots of kids. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was blessed with a big family. Job also had lots of stuff. He had lots of cattle. He had donkeys and, uh, and, and just lots of livestock and land. Like Job was crushing it. Like his operation was, was good. He had a family business. His kids were help running the business. He had all this land and livestock and things were going really, really well for Job. He was highly respected, one of the most wealthy people in, in the region. It doesn't really talk about his net worth in, ter in terms of dollars, but it talks about it in terms of livestock. He was a very, very wealthy man. So that was his story. And he was very righteous. Like he had a relationship with God and, and his kids would throw parties. And, and then afterwards, he would kind of be like a priest for them. He would offer a sacrifice. He'd say, man, if my, if my kids somehow turned and cursed God, I want to make sure that that's, that's you know, been, been taken care of. And so he would offer these sacrifices. So Job was a, a wealthy man, a man of integrity, had a big family. Life's good. 
right? Job's good. He's, he's good until scene two. Now we're going to read starting in verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and blessed him and the work of his, uh, around his house and all that he has on every side? You blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do against him or do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So the first scene of our story, we saw that Job had things going well for him. Life was good. That was the scene on earth. Now the second scene is the scene from heaven. And this is really interesting because we don't see a lot of these types of interactions in the Bible. I mean, there's some things in the book of Revelation when, you know, Satan's referred to and he's talked about the the accuser of the brethren, but this is rare. We don't see a lot of interaction between God and Satan in the Bible. So this is one of them. So we need to pay attention to it. And this tells us that Satan has some access to God. He's able, as God allows him, to converse with him. And so the story goes, God is in courts of heaven. Here comes Satan. He just comes waltzing into heaven with the angels, and they have a conversation. And this is just fascinating to me. And it goes something like this. uh, Satan, where have you been? Oh, I've been walking around the earth, just, you know, checking things out. And God says, have you noticed my guy, Job? Like, he's pretty great. He, he always does what's right, and he's an upright dude, and he's really good. And Satan's like, yeah, but you've blessed him. And it's not hard for someone to live righteous or to, to fear God when everything goes their way. Why don't you uh, stretch out and, and ruin his life and, and then see what happens? And God says, challenge accepted. And he gives him permission. God gives Satan permission to afflict Job, all right? This is, this is kind of big stuff, and we're going to read on, and then we're going to talk more about it. So verse 13, let's pick it back up. Now there was a day when, the sons, when his sons and their daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkey, donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. For the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So this is where the story has gotten very interesting, right? Satan has ability, God has given him the ability to afflict Job. And so Satan sends a, a group of Sabians, of raiders to go and to take all of the livestock, just confiscate them, kill all the servants except for one who's going to come back and give Job the message. And then the Chaldeans do the same thing. Satan is, is mobilizing these people to come and ruin Job's life. And as Job is, is sitting and hearing all this news, like, my livestock is gone. I, I have no job. I have no wealth anymore. He gets the worst news of all. All 10 of your kids are dead. The wind blew the house down and your kids are dead. Now, I've had some bad days in my life and I'm guessing that you've had some bad days. We've never had a bad day like Job had a bad day. That is the worst day that you could have. Can you imagine losing everything you own, all your land, all your servants, except for a handful of them, and all your kids, your whole family dead? Like, I don't know if we can fully grasp how big of a thing this is, but this is what happened. And by the way, it says at the end, verse 22, Job didn't do anything wrong. He was, he was a blameless man. This is big stuff. This is theological stuff. We started out this morning talking about why do people suffer and why do bad things happen to good people? And it, the answer is it's not that simple. It, it really isn't. It's the old, age-old question of why would a God who is all-knowing and all-loving and you know, all-powerful, why would he allow bad things to happen to good people? Or to flip it around, why would a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, why would he allow good things to happen to bad people? I mean, we don't like to watch good people suffer. We might be okay with watching bad people suffer a little bit because we think, ah, oh, they deserve it. But, but we, we try to reconcile this in our minds. And, and when we face a bad circumstance or a health struggle or a trial, we say, there's, there's got to be a reason for this. Maybe God is punishing me. Maybe there's some sin in my life that he's trying to deal with. This idea isn't new. In fact, in Jesus' day, as he walked around with his disciples, uh, they asked him. They, they straight up asked him about, okay, whose fault is it that a man was born blind? In, in John 9, it says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so Jesus said, hey, uh, we all, by the way, we know everybody's a sinner, right? So these guys had sinned, but he said, the blindness wasn't a result of the man's sin or his parents' sin. The blindness was a, a choice of God so that he could reveal his glory and his power by healing him. And, and if you read on in that story, you know that Jesus does heal this man and he, his blindness is gone. He's able to see. And so we can say to ourselves, all right, so every blind person is blind so that God's going to heal him, right? Like every blind person is going to be able to see? Not necessarily. 
It's like, well, I don't get this. I don't get how this works. So there's, there's pain and there's suffering in the world and there's, there's disabilities, but yet God is, you know, he heals some, but he doesn't heal all. And like, wh- what gives? And, and we try to come up with simple answers for things that are not simple. And the temptation for us is to assign blame, to say if somebody's dealing with a struggle or a trial, there must be something that they did wrong. And that's not always the case. See, we have to stop trying to come up with simple answers for things that we don't fully understand. We, we, we just, we do. We, we got to quit trying to come up with simple answers. I don't understand why God allowed jo- or Satan to walk in and ask for permission to afflict Job. I don't. I don't know. If, if it was up to me, if it was my story, it would go something like this. God is sitting up in heaven on his throne. Satan walks into the courts of heaven. He says, hey, I want to go afflict Job. And God says, no, you may not. And he punches him in the face and he throws him out of heaven. That would be my version. And Job lives happily ever after with his cattle and with his kids. Like that would be my version of the Job story. It'd be a lot shorter. But that's not what God chose to do. And he says, hey, I've got things here going on that you don't understand. And there's complexities to this. And he's proving something even in the spiritual realm that that we don't fully know. See, we don't see the spiritual realm and we don't know all that's going on. And therefore, we don't have all the answers. And there's, there's a humility in the Christian life when we can say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. So as, as a pastor, I don't have all the answers. You ask me questions, people come to me for wisdom. I'll share what I think and what I believe, you know, that I know. But I don't have all the answers. And guess what? Neither do you. So can we just all say that on the count of three, I don't know. One, two, three, I don't know. Isn't that liberating? It's like, I don't know. Why did God allow Job to be afflicted? I don't know. Why does God allow certain things into our lives? I don't know. But I know I can trust God. And I know who he is. So there's a freedom in not having all the answers. But what we get to choose is how we respond. When we face trials, when we face struggles, we are totally, we get to choose how we respond. And look at what Job does. This is, this is profound. Job 1, verse 20, he says, Then Job arose and tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is Job's response. He's just lost everything. His job, his career, his land, his livestock, his family. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't get this. By the way, Job doesn't know what just happened in heaven. Job has no idea that Satan had come and asked for permission. He just said, I know God and I don't get this, but it's all his. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came naked into this world. I'm going to leave naked. I brought nothing in. I take nothing out. It all belongs to him. What a profound response of Job. And he bows before God in worship. And I think this is why he's able to worship is because he knows the character of God. Job knows who God is. He knows his character and he's able to say, even though I don't understand these circumstances, I'm going to fall on his character. So he is able to worship in bad circumstances because he is sure of who God is. It doesn't make sense to him. 
One of the most powerful things that I have witnessed in my life, and maybe some of you have been in these situations, is when someone's nearing the end of their life and they're laying in a hospital bed about to die or laying in a, in a hospice bed in their home and they're, they're saying goodbye and family members begin to, to circle around and they say, let's, let's just spend some time in, in prayer. Let's read some scripture together. Let's worship. Let's sing some songs and I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments. I've been around a few of those. And it is one of the most powerful and profound experiences. Because in those moments, there's nothing that we can do. We're powerless other than just saying, God, we are here. And you have all the answers. And you hold eternity in your hand. And we're just going to worship you for who you are. And we're going to be here present in our grief as we say goodbye to someone that we love. And it's such a profound response in those moments. We have hope in those moments too because we look forward and we say, this life is not all there is. And so as we say goodbye to a loved one, we know that they are walking into eternity to be with Jesus. So I want to pause here and have a couple questions of discussion. I just want to dialogue with you guys a little bit. And the first one is this, what is your typical response to suffering or bad situations in your life? How do you typically respond? I get angry, frustrated. How about you? Ask why. You ask why? It's pretty natural to ask why. And you, yeah, I think that's, even little kids do that. Because I said so, right? <laughs> what else? How, how else do you respond? You try to fix it, but sometimes you can't. Yeah, like we're going to take matters into our own hands and maybe take care of it. What'd you say? I said chorus. Chorus is a good one to put on there. Chorus? Yes. What do you mean by that? Um, a Bible verse in Episcopals to answer those questions. What's stuck up there? So chorus like singing? Hmm. I don't know if I typically, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I get angry, I get frustrated, I ask why. I think those are all normal responses to that kind of thing. Second question I want to ask is, so we saw Job respond by worshiping. What, what good does worshiping through suffering do for our hearts? What good does that do? Say that again. It softens your heart. Yeah, when you're dealing with something. Absolutely. Yeah, what else? Puts our focus on God and not our suffering. Puts our focus on God and not our suffering. Yeah. Yeah, and focusing on our suffering only makes it worse, doesn't it? The more we focus on it, the more we, then we try to fix it, and then we ask why, and but yeah, it's a matter of saying, putting the focus back on God instead of on our situation. Absolutely. See, God allows us how we want to choose to respond to our suffering. He, we basically have two options. We can take the kind of the worldly perspective on suffering and we say, well, nothing good can come from suffering. 
It's all bad. It's all negative. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in fear of what might happen next. I'm going to live in fear and frustration of, of where this is all going. Or we can choose to have a, re- a response where we say, I trust God. I trust his character. I trust his heart. I know who he says he is. And I believe that even when I don't understand my circumstances. And that even if my circumstances go really, really bad, that God can be trusted and he can redeem those situations in my life. That's, those are kind of the two choices that we get to make. The book of Job is, is really an interesting study and I hope that as we work through this, that we begin to, to formulate a theology of suffering and the theology of how God is at work even in things we don't understand and how to persevere through trials. And you might be here today and you might be saying, hey, I'm really struggling with some things in my life and I don't get why God allows this into my life and and I understand that. And God can, he's big enough, he can handle that as well. But the reality is the good news for us is we worship a God who knows suffering. Jesus suffered. He suffered. He knows our suffering. See, bad things do happen to good people and the worst things happen to the best person. Jesus is perfect didn't deserve to be punished for anything. And yet he suffered more than we will ever know. And he did it for you and for me. He understands what suffering is like. He's been through it. And there's a lie that we begin to believe that God doesn't love us because we're going through a trial. We're going through a struggle. There's been a a diagnosis. There's been a crisis. Somebody's died. Something really, really awful has happened. Somebody was abused. And we start to believe the lie that God really isn't good, that he really doesn't love us. And that lie's been there since the beginning. Satan is the father of lies. And he's been lying to people ever since the garden when he deceived Adam and Eve. But the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is always the reminder that God loves us. In our suffering, we begin to believe the lie that he doesn't. We look back to the truth of the scriptures that say, yes, he does, and he's proved it. Some of you remember the song. Back in 2006, there was a song, Praise You in the Storm. You guys remember this song, Casting Crowns, was the artist. And it was written, just hold up with that. Um, it was written back um, in 2006, and there was a, a little girl by the name of Erin Browning. And Mark Hall, the the lead singer of the band, he wrote this song, and he was inspired by this little girl's faith. She became a Christian when she was six years old. She understood the gospel, she put her faith in Jesus, and then she was diagnosed with cancer. Six-year-old girl with cancer. She went around and started telling her story, and well, she ended up doing some treatment, and she was cured. Like, it was a miracle. She had no more cancer. She was clear, and she continued to tell her story. About a year later, when she was seven, the cancer came back, and she had a tumor in her chest that continued to grow and put pressure on all of her organs, and she had trouble breathing, and she was just laboring all the time, and and she was sick, and she was laying in bed. She was dying. And at eight years old, she took her last breath. She laid in her bed with her family around her. She took her last breath, and her mother held her. Her mother's name was Lori, and Lori held her in her arms for 90 minutes after she had passed away. And 
little Aaron had told her mom, I just want to go be with Jesus. Would you just read the scriptures to me? And so that's what she did before her death. Well, the song came out after little Aaron had gone to be with Jesus. And that song, uh, Lori, Lori, the mother and her grandma were able to listen to it in the car and they cried and they cried and they cried as they listened to the lyrics of this song. I just want to put up that slide. And this is the chorus. I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. See, we live in a world with sickness and pain and death and suffering and hard things. But we worship a God who is loving and kind and perfect. And even when we don't understand our circumstances and we don't understand things, just like Job didn't understand why all those bad things happened to him, our response, we get to choose our response. Are we going to get bitter? Are we going to get angry with God? Are we going to turn away from him? Or are we going to turn to him in humility and brokenness and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't know why. But I know I can trust you. And I'll praise you in the midst of whatever storm of life that I'm facing. And that's the choice for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your word, for the story of Job And Lord, we wrestle, we wrestle with this idea of why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And that question has been asked many times throughout the course of history. And Lord, we struggle with it on a day-to-day basis when bad things come into our lives, when there's a sickness or there's a diagnosis or there's abuse or there's just some awful thing that happens. And Lord, we don't claim to have all the answers but we know that we worship a God who does have all the answers. And we know that as we continue to read through this story, that it will unfold more and more your heart for humanity and your love for your people. Jesus, thank you that you suffered, that you died for us, and that that's good news. You're acquainted with suffering, and you're close to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, my prayer today is for anyone here who's just really, really struggling, who's asking those questions, why? Who is feeling like you're distant? Lord, just reveal yourself. Comfort them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. There's a simple answer to why we experience suffering in the world. And it's that we live in a sinful world that is broken. The book of Job is a fascinating story because it gives us perspective on suffering, God's sovereignty, and some very important lessons for us to learn about how to handle suffering. There are themes in the book of Job, such as God's sovereignty, suffering, and faith amidst trials. Satan has the ability to approach God. He has some access to God in heaven as God allows him to. It's not that simple. Oftentimes, when someone faces a bad circumstance, bad health, financial struggles, or whatever the trial may be, we think maybe God is punishing them. We have to stop trying to come up with simple answers for things we don't fully understand. 
We don't see the spiritual realm. We don't know what's all going on. Therefore, we don't have all the answers. We choose our response. There is a freedom in just being able to admit that we don't have all the answers. Remember, Job didn't know what was going on. He had no idea of the fact that Satan had gone before God and asked to harm him. Job is able to worship in bad circumstances because he is sure of who God is. The book of Job gives us a perspective about suffering, the unseen realm, and a bigger picture of what God is up to. It's helpful for us, and it can be comforting, because it reminds us how big and powerful God really is. The good news for us is that God knows suffering, and Jesus suffered too. Bad things do happen to good people, and the worst things happen to the best person, Jesus. Discussion Questions What is your typical response to suffering or bad situations in your life? What good does worshiping through the suffering do for our hearts? Thanks for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.